Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, to the podcast, talking about Chapter 17, Hail and Farewell author George Moore Loves Incest. Shocker. That's the discussion prompt. I almost just want that to be what comes up if you search George Moore's name. You know, George Moore, incest lover. Uh, It was weird how he just kept referring to these kind of dark and morbid sexual snippets from his childhood. Um, I found that very gross and unnecessary. And I also feel a little bit spiteful towards towards George. He's obsessed with his own legacy. He's obsessed with trying to be immortalized through his writing. And I feel like that is really the only point of his writing. He's just trying to... I don't know. It's just a big me party. He's just obsessed with himself. So, if you waste 30, 40 hours of my life in your selfish pursuit to be immortalized as a great author without actually trying to be a great author and and, um, entertain me, then I will spitefully try to ruin your legacy by suggesting that you love incest. Um, (laughs) So, there's that prompt. Um, I did find it very weird that he was into incest, though. Uh, and just felt the need to include that in his book as well. Now, Swim says the mum fishy said, I forgot to tell you all, we left home a few days ago to wend our way to Los Angeles where we will get on a cruise ship for four days. Oh, awesome. Swim, that's great. I did wonder where you got enough to, um, but I assumed there'd be a good reason. Um, I was sure that you hadn't given up at this late juncture. Um, so hey, have a great cruise, and uh, we'll see you when you get back. My youngest son, says Swim, is getting married while cruising with 70 other family and friends. After that, Tim and I are heading north to begin an epic road trip through Canada and the western states. Wow, okay. That is fantastic. So, that's why my comments have stopped. So sorry, either out of cell phone range or busy with meeting the bride's family. All good. All good. We're going to plough ahead. Join us whenever you can, if you can, or otherwise, just enjoy your um, your trip, the wedding, and the road trip, and everything. It sounds fantastic. Um, and congratulations to you as well and your son on on uh, on the wedding. Great idea too for them um, getting married on a cruise ship. I imagine it will be fantastic fun. Now, let us keep reading. Chapter 18. Hopefully, um, George doesn't have to tell us more about his uh, disgusting sexual impulses. Not to, um, you know, kink shame him or anything, but, um, yeah. Disgusting sexual impulses. I'm standing by it. The colonel stayed with me a few days longer, and when the morning came for him to go, we bade each other goodbye with impressment, a little more than usual, as if to convince ourselves that we loved each other as before, but neither was deceived. And I went up to the drawing room with a heavy heart. Miss Goff was waiting there, and she began to read aloud from yesterday's dictation, but her voice was soon drowned in the tumult of my thoughts of what use for us to see each other, if we may only talk of superficial things. Never more can there be any sympathy of spirit between us. We are solitary beings who may, at most, exchange words about tenants and sawmills. How horrible. And while talking of things that do not interest me in the least, there will be always a rancour in my heart. We shall drift further and further apart. The fissure will widen into a chasm. We are divided utterly, and sooner or later he will leave more hall and will go to live abroad. 
The cessation of Miss Goff's voice awoke me, and looking up, I caught sight of her eyes fixed upon me reproachfully. You're not listening. I beg your pardon. I've been away. Now we'll go on. But the scene of the story I was dictating was laid in Mayo around the shores of Loch, Loch Carrar, and the woods and islands and the people whom I had known long ago drew my thoughts from the narrative, and before long they had drifted to a house that my brother and I had built with some planks high up in the beech tree. One day a quarrel had arisen regarding the building of his house, and to get my own way I had pretended not to believe in his love of me, causing him to burst into tears. His tears provoked my curiosity, and it was not long before I began to think that I would like to see him cry again. But to my surprise, the sorrow and the gib did not succeed in producing a single tear. He seemed indifferent whether I thought he loved me or not. I was a, it was after fifty years had gone by that this long-forgotten episode floated up out of the depths. I was as detestable in the beginning as I am in the end, I said, like one speaking in his sleep, and catching Miss Goff's eyes again, I laughed a little. I'm absent-minded this afternoon. You've been working too hard lately. You didn't go for your walk yesterday. You think it would be better for me to go for a long walk than to sit here dreaming of dictation rubbish? I dare say you're right. I give you the liberty. She closed her notebook and rose from the table, but I don't know where to walk. Why not go to Marion and call on John Eglinton? You always like talking to him. He's at the library this afternoon. And there are your cousins at Blackrock. Yes, I might go see them. Then, till tomorrow. She went away, leaving me stretched in an armchair by the window, staring at the drooping ash of the wicket, trying to <clears throat> think of some way of passing the time, but unable to discover any except by going to the garden and helping the gardener to collect a large box of snails which the plants were infested. She, he threw them into the pail of salt water, saying, It is fine stuff for them, but I like to spill a circle of salt and watch them trying to crawl out. Alas, one does not change, not materially. Once, on a time, I used to hunt the laundry cats with dogs, and the colonel was never cruel. No one corrected me. No one reproved me. I grew up a wildling. Wilding. And that wouldn't matter so much if the sentence remained unfinished, for at that moment I remember the intonation in the colonel's voice. It will be great grief to me if you declare yourself a Protestant. The words were simple enough, but intonation is more important than words. It goes deeper, like music to the very roots of a feeling, to the heart's core. But if I sit here brooding any longer, I shall go mad, and I rushed upstairs and shaved myself, and buttoned myself into a new suit of clothes. The apparel oft creates a new man, I said, stepping briskly over the threshold, hastening my pace down Bagot Street, assuring myself that meditation is impossible when the pace is more than four miles an hour. But at the canal bridge, it was necessary to stop, not to watch the boats, as, in my, as is my wont, but to consider which way I should take. For I had gone down Bayot Street and the Pembroke Road over Bulls Bridge and followed the Dodder to Donnybrook so often that my imagination craved for some new scenery. But there is no other, I cried, and I was not until the trees of the Botanic Garden came into view that I roused a little of my despondency. I had never asked for a key or solicited admission to these gardens, so gloomy did they seem, but thinking that I might meet some student from Trinity whom I would could watch pursuing... Pursuing knowledge from flower to flower, from tree to tree, who might even kind enough, might even be kind enough to instruct me a little and divert me, I crossed the tram line and peered through the tall railings into the dark and dismal thickets. There did not seem to be anything in these gardens but ilex trees, the most unsuitable tree to my present mood, I muttered, and went away in the direction of Black Rock 
thinking of my handsome cousin Fanella and her good-natured innocent brothers. It seemed to me that I should like to pay them a visit, that their house would soothe me. One likes certain houses, not because the people that live in them are especially clever and amusing, but because one finds it agreeable to be there. But in Mount Merion, questions would be put to me about the colonel. Mount Merion would bring all the miserable business up again, and I stopped at the corner of the Serpentine Avenue undecided. If I could only think of something, I said, anything, provided I have not done it a hundred times before, I never followed the daughter to see, and wondering how it got there, I turned into Serpentine Avenue. As there was no sign of the river at this side of the railway, I concluded that it must lie on the other side, for all rivers reach the sea unless they go underground. The gates of the level crossing were closed when I arrived, and a sound of angry voices reached my ears. A little group of wayfarers, I said, cursing a gateway in the Dublin Brogue, uh, will you come out to hell or over that? The devil will take you. What are you doing in there? Is it asleep you are? And so forth, until at last an old sluggard rolled out his box with a dream still in his eyes and grumbling opened the gates, receiving damnations from everybody but me, who was no nousy in a hurry. A passer-by directed me, and I followed a beautiful shady road admiring the houses and gardens at the back until I came to the great stone bridge, unfortunately a modern one, but built of large blocks of fine stone. A black drain-like river flowed through the arches, for the Dodder is nowhere an attractive river, not even when flowing through the woods at Darty. At the Lansdowne Road there is a wood, and at the end of the wood a pleasant green bank, bank overhung with hawthorn bows, but the Dodder is inert and black as the crocodile. The current moves hardly at all, and my priest, I said, would prefer a face a couple of miles of lower Kara on a moonlight night. He would come out of the daughter clothed in mud, but out of love Kara he would rise like Leander from the Hellspont, but with no hero to meet him. And throwing myself on the green bank, my thoughts began to follow the priest's moods as he wandered around the thickets of Derinush. Mood rising out of the mood and melting into mood, the story seemed to be moving on very smoothly in my imagination, and I know not what chance association of images or ideas led my thoughts away from it and back to the evening when the colonel had left my house when I told him that he might as well castrate his children as bring up the Catholics. He had forgotten my atrocious language, it is true, but for the colonel's beautiful nature can do more than pardon. He is one of the rare human beings who can forgive. He is unable to acquire new ideas. The older, too intimate and intense family ties are dear to him. He is a Catholic because he was taught Catholic prayers when he was a little child and taken to the Karnakun Chapel. His life is set in feelings rather than his ideas and expressed himself fully and perfectly when he said... It will be a great grief to me if you declare yourself a Protestant, and it seemed to me that I should be guilty of a dastardly act if I were to bring my grief to my brother's life. God knows, thought I, he was has received stabs enough from the fortune, as do all those whose hearts compelled them as he his did on Carlisle Bridge six months ago. It pleased me to remember the scuffle. We had heard a woman cry out of as we returned to the Gaelic League meeting, and looked back, I said, a jack cuffing his jill around a cockle stall, one of the many hundred women that are cuffed nightly in Dublin. Before I could say a word, the colonel had rushed to her assistance, and a fine old boxing match began between the cad and the colonel at one in the morning. 
If the cat had happened to have some pals about, the colonel would certainly have been flung into the leafy. He did not think of the danger he was running, only of rescuing some oppressed woman. A diabolical act it would be to grieve him more mortally in the autumn of his life, now that he is settled in more hall and in the enjoyment of his first freedom after thirty years of military discipline. I can't do it. The colonel did not come into the world, as his saying goes. He was a silver spoon in his mouth, and had to make up his mind before he was twenty how he was going get a living there was no time for consideration as the direction in which he would like to develop it if he had a little money he might have gone to the bar and he said very little but his mind concentrated in a fierce determination to get through and he passed high up mother began at the bottom of the list trying to find him but the housemaid cried out why he's here ma'am ninth he was first out of the sandhurst went to india and was stationed in mauritius and fought in the First South African War. He returned to India and was not long at home before he had to go out again to South Africa where he commanded his regiment through all the fierce fighting of Colenso and Peter's Hill. He had to risk his life again and again and submit himself to a coil of duties for 30 years before he had earned enough to support a wife and children. It is outrageous that I, who have enjoyed my life, never knowing an ache or a want, should dare to intervene and tell him I could not repeat the atrocious words again. It seemed to me as I lay on the brink. Green Bank, that I had no right to declare myself Protestant. It is bad that the children should see their parents divided in religion and would aggravate the evil were their uncle to declare himself on the mother's side, but I wonder why he married the Protestant, because he was compelled by his heart and did not meanly stop to consider the value of the sacrifice he was making, that is why, and I got up from the green bank and walked towards the bridge, wondering how it was that I was never able to bask in the sun like the couple that to be seen every fine day in the evening in the park, but rough boys and girls sitting on the benches, their arms about each other, sent content to lie in the warmth of each other's company without uttering a word at most, are you comfy dear, I'm alright, but I have never been able to enjoy life without thought, and should not have lain on that green bank. On the other side of the bridge there are no sweet hawthorns, only wastelands and a ragged path along the water's edge interrupted by stiles at the third bridge. This path ceases altogether. Warehouses and factories rise up steeply. The daughter cannot be followed to the sea by that bank, but a flight of steps exists on the other side, and these took me down to the black cindery place intersected by canals. It was amusing to trip across the several locked gates and to find oneself suddenly on the quays. But where was the daughter to cross the lock gates and go up that flight of steps would be tiresome, and I decided to miss the honour of discovering the mouth of the river and give my attention to the great forepast in the hull of the ship, standing thirty feet out of the water on all the spars and yards and ropes delicate yet clear upon the grey sky. But there seemed to be nobody about whom I could apply for permission to visit the ship, and my choice would lay between continuing to walk regretfully along the quays and going up the gangway uninvited and explaining to the first sailor where my, my intentions were strictly honest there must be somebody on board the ship wouldn't be left unprotected and up the gangway i went but the ship seemed as empty as the shells that used to lie along the mantelpieces in the 60s and i walked about for a long time before happening upon anybody at last a good-natured brenton sailor appeared whom i had no difficulty engaging in conversation he told me that the ship had come from australia with corn and would go away to ballast first to glasgow and if the wind were favourable, they would go to Glasgow in about 18 hours. The ship's destination was San Francisco, and to get there they would have to double Cape Horn. And I thought the sailor ordered a loft to take in sail. However, black the night, he would have to climb into the rigging, and if the ship doubled the Cape in safety, he would be up, um, up among the yards, furling sail after sail as he floated through the Golden Gates at San Francisco. They would take corn in, and 
ex French words, expresses French words, blah, blah, blah. And he took me into his closet and showed me his son's photograph. And when I admired his young man, he said, if I would like to go over the ship, and we walked about together, and there was nothing to see, only a number of Bonhams. Voilà le French, 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 French words. The sailor revived my ardour for the preservation of small languages and talked enthusiastically of the Bretons, the remnant of the race that had once possessed all France and colonised Britain. The Irish Celts were a different race and spoke a language that would not understand, but he would understand some Welsh and the Cornish language, but better still, more French words. French, 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 French. And slipping... A shilling into his hand, I pursued my way along the quays, stopping to admire the cut stone front of a house in ruins. It pillared the gateway and iron railings. It seemed to me that this indignant riverside had seen better days. Behind it was a little purlieu overflowing with children, and a few old trades were ensconced amid the ruins of warehouses. A little further on, I came upon a tavern and resort of sails that looked as if some wild scenes might happen there of an evening, but very likely the crews from the fishing smacks only came up to play a game of cards and get a little tipsy. Nowadays, the end of an Irishman's adventure, we are supposed to be romantic and adventurous race, but very likely we were centuries ago, but we are now the smuggest and most prosaic people in the world. Our spiritual adventures are limited to going to Mass and our enjoyment of the tour race meeting, a mild climate... Without an accent upon it does not breed adventures. Key followed key. There were plenty of fishing smacks in Olivia, and these interested me till I came to Carlisle Bridge, and leaning over the parapet, my thoughts followed the Liffey beyond Chapelzoid. It is between Chapelzoid and Lucan that it begins to gurgle alongside and high hedges through a flat country enclosed by a line of blue hills about seven or eight miles distant after Chapelzoid. It is a brown and bonny river that would have inspired the Celt to write poetry if he had not preferred priests to the muses. As I said just now, he is supposed to be romantic and adventurous, but he is the smuggest, redeem, smuggest and most prosaic fellow in the world. As Edward says, men in Dublin do not burn. The Celt is supposed to be humorous, but he is merely loquacious. We read of Celtic glamour, but what is known as Celtic glamour came out of Sussex. Shelley came to Ireland to redeem the Celt, a mad freak very much like mine. All the same, he got some beautiful poetry out of Ireland. The Oak Expanding its immeasurable arms, embraces the light beach, the pyramids of the tall cedar overarching the frame, most solemn domes within are far below, like clouds suspended in emerald sky, the ash and the acacia floating hang, tremulous and pale, and those lines, a well, dark gleaming, and of most translucent wave images, all the woven bows above, and each depending leaf, and every speck of azure sky. I very like Lucan, and there are other passages still more like Lucan, but unable to capture the elusive lines, my thoughts follow the river as far as I knew, as far as Blessington and Popotella. Poshu is a fairy in Irish, and no doubt the fairies assembled there long ago, but they have hidden themselves far among the hills between the source of Liffey and the Dodder, where no Grady wrote the divine Dodder. He must have been thinking of long ago when the Dodder roared down the, from the hills, a great terrible river, sweeping the cattle out of the fields, killing even its otters, rearing through the land of a great chasm, now often dry, save for a peevish trickle which, after many weeks of rain, swells into harmless floods and falls over the great weir at Taloch, but only to run away quickly and collect into pools among the great boulders, reaching Raffarnum, a quiet and demure little river. At Darty it flows through mud, but the wood 
above it is beautiful, not great and noble as the wooden Pangbourne, though it is a small place, no doubt, but the trees that crowd the banks are tall and shapely, and along one bank there is a rich growth of cow parsley and hemlock, and there are sedges and flags and beds of wild forget-me-nots in the stream itself. The trees reach over the stream, and there are pleasant spots under the hawthorns in the meadows where the lovers may sit hand in hand, and nooks under the high banks where they can lie conscious of each other on a soft... Summer evening, a man should go there with a girl for the intrusion of the mere wayfarer is resented. There is a beautiful bend in the stream near the dye works and the trees grow straight and tall and out of them the wood pigeon clatters green slimy stenchy at Donnybrook and Ballsbridge. The dot of reminds me of the steep hill paven street into which many wash tubs have been emptied and after Ballsbridge it reaches the sea, as has been said, black and inert as a crocodile. If O'Grady had called the dot of the Union River he would have described it better for the dot must have been entirely dissociated from Dublin until about 100 years ago as the aristocracy that inhabited the great squares and streets in the north side of the Dublin could not could have known very little about this river but as soon as the union became an established fact Dublin showed a tendency to move towards the southeast towards the dot of every city in the world moves to westward but we are on the odd people and Dublin is as odd as ourselves the building of Marion Street must have been undertaken a little before or very soon after the union Stephen's Green is late 18th century Fitzwilliam Square looks like 1850 the houses of the Pembroke Road seem a little older but we cannot date them earlier than 1820 within the memory of a man Donny Brook was a little village lying outside Dublin today is only connected with Dublin by a long straggling street and beyond Donny Brook is a beautiful wooded district through which the Stilgoran ride road rises its gentle ascents sycamores beeches and chestnuts of great height and size shadowing its mile after mile on either side of the road there are cut stone gateways, the smooth smooth drives curve and disappear behind hollies and cedars, and we often catch sight of the blue hills between the trees. At this moment I have said, the transparent leaves are shining like emeralds are set in filigree gold, the fruit has fallen from the branches, the shucks are broken, boys are picking out the red-brown nuts for hacking, and the same sun is lighting up the chestnut avenue leading to the moat house, Stella's shadowy lengthens down her garden walk she would like me to startle her solitude with my voice and what and why not and while watching her in imagination lifting the pots of the dahlias and shaking the earwigs out the thought shot through my heart that i might not be able to bear the disgrace of catholicism for the colonel's sake causing me to quail and sink as if i had been struck by a knife it has begun all over again i said and all the evening it will take me unawares as it did just now it will return again and again to conquer me in the end, and at every assault the temptation may be less vehement. Go home, I cannot. Distractions is what I need. Company. I'll go to Stella, and we'll walk round the garden together. She will enjoy showing me her carnations and dahlias, teasing me because I cannot remember the name of every trivial weed. I suppose it is that men don't care for flowers as women do. We never come back from the country with our arms filled with flowers. We are interested in dogmas. They are flowers. A mother never turned her daughter out of doors because she could not believe in the doctrine of the atonement. Women are without a theological sense. Thank God we shall linger by the moat watching the trout darting to and fro, thinking of nothing but the trout, and after supper we'll stray into the painting room and go over the, all the canvases, talking of quality, values, and drawing. And then, but she may not be at home. She may have gone to Rathfarnham in search of subjects. She may have gone to Sleeko. She spoke last week of going there to stay with friends. To find the moat house empty and to have to come back and spend the evening alone would be very disappointing. And I walked up and down the bridge wondering if I should risk it all my life 
Long I shall have to bear the brand of Catholicism. I shall never escape from my promise. Except by breaking it and forgetful of Stella. I followed the pavement, seeing nothing, hearing nothing, lost in surprise of my own lack of power to keep my promise. Sooner or later I shall yield to the temptation, so why not at once? But it may pass away. Stella will be able to advise me better than anybody. I fell to thinking how she had been the refuge whither I could run ever since I had come to Ireland, sure of finding comfort and wise, wise counsel. Car. Car. Just trying to end with the word car. Random. All right. Well, car. Uh, that's the end of the chapter. Thanks for listening. See ya tomorrow.